0: Today, continuing in Jude verses 5 through 16, we see more wrong motives, which false teachers have. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: But that's only three of their impure motives, there are five more. In verses 12 to 16, let's read again. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, The Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Let's take up the remaining five impure motives of the false teachers. Impure motive number four, they want to get ahead. I see that in verse 12 by caring for themselves. Number five, they want to look good on the outside. Verse 12, that's why they're called clouds without rain, trees without fruit, uprooted. They just want to look good on the outside. Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. Places where the dead are interred, that are just whitewashed on the outside and they look so pristine and clean and nice, but on the inside is decay. These false teachers want to look good just on the outside. Number six, impure motive. They want to pass off unstable for solid. They are, in fact, according to verse 13, wild waves of the sea. You want to talk about instability. Wild waves of the sea are so unstable... And wandering stars, these men, these false teachers, are compared to these things, wild waves of the sea, and wandering stars that are totally things in nature that are unstable. And in fact, in their intellect and in their spiritual life and in their integrity, they are unstable, but they want to pass off and masquerade as being solid. The seventh impure motive of a false teachers is they want to bash God. Verse 15: They're speakers of harsh things. They are the ungodly who do ungodly deeds in an ungodly way. And they speak harsh words, but specifically harsh words against God, the nerve of them. They bash God. And so today we have open theists who want us to believe that God doesn't really know the future. Or we've got Rob Bell saying that God really didn't mean that people outside of his son go to a real hell. Or you've got a Joel Osteen who refuses to preach or say the word sin because it's negative. All of these errors, false teachers of today, are bashing God's character, bashing God's plan of redemption, bashing God's word. They are bashing God. The eighth impure motive of a false teacher is they want to exalt themselves. They want to exalt themselves. Verse 16 says they're grumblers. When you want to put yourself forward and make yourself better than anyone else, then you grumble when it doesn't happen. They are fault finders. When you want to advance yourself, when you want to put yourself ahead of anybody else, then you are quick to find fault in anybody else. You chop them down to size so you can feel taller. They want to exalt themselves. Verse 16 says they grumble, they find fault, they boast about themselves. And when they want to exalt themselves, they flatter others to get advantage. They tell others what they think they want to hear so that they will get favors from the people they flattered so they can be exalted more in the community of the church or the community at large. And so when you sum it all up, no wonder This section of the book is, ready? (laughs) J.D., ready? Do you realize how serious these false teachers are? How much in error they are and what gets them out of the bed in the mornings? Their terrible motives to review, they want their own way to God, they want bucks for ministry service, they want power in the local church, they want to get themselves ahead, they want to look good on the outside, thank you very much, the inside doesn't matter at all, they want to pass off uh, their own instability as being solid, they want to bash God of all people, and they want to exalt themselves. Now we come to an important gear shift in this message. We've let the text identify false teachers and tell us about their motives, but now the gear shift that we have to make in this message is this. We have to ask the applicational question of ourselves, two of them. First, am I learning anything from a false teacher? And second, am I teaching anything false myself? Could it be that there is a spiritual person in your life a parent a spouse a colleague at work that talks too much about that which he or she knows too little could there be a religious person in your sphere of influence who has a loose and vicious tongue and spouts off all the time could it be that you are listening and being influenced by a mouthy and opinionated person who's also into the Bible. Oh, not what it states and what it means, but what it means to them. Do you know what that verse means to me? I really don't care what it means to you. What does it mean? If we have such people in our lives, and we may well, Are they causing us to learn error? Are they causing us to learn lies? Are they causing us to learn heresies? Like what? Like, could it be that they've been teaching us another gospel? There is an elected official in this country who wants us to believe the gospel is social justice and the redistribution of wealth. Could we have been caused to learn another gospel? Um, Could we have caused to have learned that when you do Christian ministry, you really ought to be paid quite well for it? Could we have caused to be learning that we should really be striving to acquire more power? Because if we just had more power, we'd have more influence for Christ. Really? Jesus was homeless. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus was not into power. He had all the power in the universe, and he set aside the use of it when he came and became incarnate. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. Could we be learning from false teachers? Self-promotion, you know, you got to market yourself. Norman Vincent Peale, positive thinking, you know, market yourself. Self-promotion. Or could we be learning from people in our lives that it's really okay to be two-faced? It's really okay on Sundays to present yourself in a certain way, but then to be totally different at home and at work the rest of the days of the week. Or could it be that we've been learning from false teachers that really deception isn't all that bad, I mean, if it makes the sale. I mean, couldn't you just be mildly deceptive to get a person to trust Christ so you get a notch on your belt? Or maybe we're learning from people in our lives, listening to them, that really we should just vent our anger on God. I mean, it's all God's fault that that person died. It's all God's fault that you lost your job. It's all God's fault, you fill in the blank. Or could it be we're learning from a false teacher that we should just really exalt ourselves. If it feels good, do it. I mean, life is short, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. My friends, all those concepts are lies. All those concepts are errors. All those concepts ought not to be learned. All of those concepts ought to be rejected outright.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now, today's ministry spotlight.
1: Well, good morning, listeners. I have Nathan Sawyer, Director of our Media Services at Calvary Bible Church in the studio with me this morning. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. So pleased to have Nathan with us. Beth and I have been marveling at the uh, variety of media services that Calvary Bible Church is blessed to provide. And uh, Nathan has been at the center of those uh, for some years and does an excellent job along with all of his team of workers. I thought I'd like to throw a window open for our listeners, Nathan, on some of the variety of things that you and your team do by way of media services at Calvary Bible Church.
2: Okay. Well, weekly, we put out some publications, which include our Calvary Bible Church Bulletin and Prayer Letters, as well as sermon notes and those kind of uh, paper publications. Um, We also do video publications on a weekly basis for our online viewers, Um, We would have videos of our Sunday services that would both be streamed live and uh, available at a later point in time for their review. There's also um, our video announcements, which we politely call CBC News, Mm -hmm, which uh, gives the uh, viewer um, an idea of what's going on in the body this week and upcoming events. And um, that's available online, as well as we show that in both our 8 and 11 a.m. services. Then we have this, our weekly radio uh, broadcast that is uh, broadcast on 50 and 40 ZNS every week at 7.30 a.m. Then uh, we do audio services. Um, We provide uh, service audio for both our, our Sunday morning services, concerts, funerals and weddings. Um, We can provide video services for those as well. Um, And then we have a a group of uh, faithful persons who do our projection um, work, and they would project our song lyrics and um, sermon notes and all those things that make a service flow very easily. And then we have um, social media persons who uh, would be on pages like our Facebook page, that's uh, Calvary Bible Church at CBC Body on Facebook and um, they would make uh, a lot of these other resources that are published to our webpage available to those who might only visit our Facebook uh,
1: entity. That is a lot. I'm just tired and smiling listening to that list. We are so blessed. I know that there are larger, numerically larger ministries in the U.S. and Canada that don't have nearly this variety of media service support. So. I thank the Lord for you and for your team and for all the hard work uh, you put in as unto the Lord every each and every week. Tell me a little bit about how you view media services. It's more than just the list that you ran down, isn't it?
2: Well, yes, it is. And I'll start by saying that uh, that ministry, the media ministry is a very vital ministry to the church. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not my key ministry. Um, my key ministry is the discipleship of young men and, and women, but but mostly young men. And uh, media is the tool in which I use to do that. We would normally catch the the persons who don't fit into Sunday school or are um, looking for something else to do during a service. Sometimes even the troublesome individuals in your church who walk around frequently or talk um, incessantly or always on their cell phone during a service, we tend to attract those persons with the technology that we use. That's a hook, and that gets their interest. And from there, we try to explain that, one, you need to have a relationship in Jesus Christ. Yes. And after they've either come to place faith in Jesus Christ or profess that they are already in the Lord mm-hmm. um we we work further to disciple them that uh, they get in the word they plug in they grow spiritually as they grow um in the work of the media and you know it grows beyond that we we have uh, uh persons in our media ministry who have left the church and are involved in discipleship programs in other churches um we have uh gentlemen in our own ministry uh, who are or were um, deacons, um, or elders in training, small group leaders, discipleship group leaders,
1: um, etc. It's fantastic to see those persons that may have come showing just an interest in in uh, technology, as you said, but they've come to understand that uh, a developing faith and love for Jesus Christ is really what's most important. And I know that uh, that's your heart to help steer those individuals to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. And it's really exciting to see that. Do you have any other thoughts that uh, would be good to let our listeners know about? You've shared a lot of information already. Well, if someone
2: listening would be interested, um, whether to be plugged in at Calvary in our media department, or if they're already active in some other ministry and would just like some further training, Or, or, you know, just contact me at the church office um, Tuesday through Friday. The number is 326-0800.
1: And I'll be happy to talk with you. Excellent. Why don't we just close this segment off before I pray. Uh, What's that Facebook? uh, It's Calvary Bible Church at CBC Body on Facebook. Oh, lowercase. CBC Body. That's correct. As in Body of Christ. And then our email Is info at
2: calvarybible.org.bs and our webpage is
1: calvarybible.org.bs Nathan, you're a joy uh, partner in the ministry and a friend and I thank you for all that you do, many countless hours you put in and I like to say to people who ask, you know, the difference between um, a servant of the Lord and um, a person who's really not a servant of the Lord is that an employee looks at the clock engages his or her work based on well now it's time to work and now it's time to quit a servant uh, doesn't watch the clock they stay and do their best uh, until the job is done and I just want to give God glory and you thanks for being that kind of a servant brother thank you you're welcome let's have a word of prayer together Oh, gracious God, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth as the supreme servant, the one who would willingly lay down his life for us to shed his blood to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, today I commit and commend to you uh, Brother Nathan Sawyer and his media team at Calvary Bible Church. I pray that you would continue to richly bless them in their work. I thank you that their work With its quality and comprehensive nature is such a blessing to our local church family to the city of nassau and by extension through the radio and the internet to the family islands and in fact the world lord i pray you'd encourage these who work in the media services department of this local church bless them guide them help them Provide equipment that they need, technologies that they may need to secure. Give them all that they have need of, Lord, to the end that you be made much of and glorified in all things. And last, Lord, thank you for those that are presently being trained to be fully committed followers of Christ through our media services department. And please bring more to us, Lord, more young people people of all ages, that you want to see what close to you in obedient discipleship through the media services, ministries of Calvary Bible Church. We love you, Lord, and we can say that because you have first loved us. And we pray in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name together, amen. Amen.
3: And now, today's personal God story. Good morning. My name is Thaddeus Pears. I grew up in a Christian home where my parents were missionaries in the inner city of Jacksonville, Florida, where I was born. One could say I was exposed to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and His saving work from birth. My parents always paid very close attention that I and my siblings knew for ourselves the love of God showed through His Son, Jesus. Never forcing it on us, but being sure that we knew that is what they believed and hoped we would believe it too. When my parents moved back to the Bahamas, I was five years old, and it was in that year my mom asked my sister to read me this book called The Greatest Story Ever Told. The book simply and clearly explained how God made the world perfect and made Adam and Eve the first two perfect human beings. Then it explained how Adam and Eve were tempted by sin and fell, thus causing sin to enter the world and us and it clearly explained that only through a perfect sacrifice can man be saved from the ultimate death of sin. It explained that the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ, God's son, who lived a sinless life and died for my sins and rose again to give us a new hope of a life in him. After I heard that and understood it, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. As I got older, I knew that I had been saved from sin and was a Christian. But at the time, I didn't realize that meant living differently. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was delinquent or have some extreme stories about all the bad things I did. I was a good kid, for lack of a better word. I knew the Bible said that I must obey my parents and just do whatever the Bible said. At the time, that is what I thought it meant to be a Christian. And so that's what I tried to do. It was not until I was 12, when I attended the Christian Youth Sports Camp, Camp Bahamas, that even though I was a Christian, I wasn't really living for Christ. I viewed it as something you, one, do to stay out of hell, or two, to be a good person. During that time at camp, I realized that Christianity was truly about giving my life to God and not just doing what He says. It was about having a relationship and giving your life to be used by God and to do His work. It was there when I rededicated my life to God. My whole view on life changed after that. God began to give me an overwhelming passion to do any kind of ministry I can for His glory, and He gave me a passion for studying His word so I can know Him more, and in turn, tell others more about Him. My life had meaning and purpose for the first time, It was not just about going through life, making the right decisions, but it was about living a life through God and fulfilling the mission he has for all of his children. So to anyone who is struggling with a reason for life or someone who is just anxious about the future, whether it may be what college you want to go to, or if you can make the bills at the end of the month, I encourage you wholeheartedly to put that trust in Jesus Christ and you will experience the peace and love that only he can give a love and peace that gives you true purpose and passion. And that's my story.
0: It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions which we seek to answer right away, and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Lainey's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997, and once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: I have a question based on Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. I would like to read those for you, Mark 16, 17 and 18, Jesus' words. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And here's the question, should Christians be miracle workers? Christ promised that certain signs or miracles would characterize the apostolic age, Paul referred to these miracles as signs of a true apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Miracles did follow the proclamation of the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria and throughout the Roman world. God used these miracles to introduce the church age and to authenticate the message and the messengers of that new era. Is Jesus commanding that we do these things? Some say yes. Yes. Some say I handle serpents because it's in the Bible like a commandment, explains a church leader from an Appalachian mining town, and I drink poison like strychnine because the Bible says it won't hurt me. Now, either every word in the Bible is right or it is wrong, so says this uh preacher in the Appalachian Mountains that believes that uh, handling of snakes and the drinking of poison is for today, and he can therefore do it and be spared. Going back to Dr. Laney's answer, this is not a matter of whether the Bible is right or wrong. It's an issue of whether this text applies to us. I suggest that the promise of immunity to snake bites and poison was given in the context of persecution during the apostolic age. Jesus is referring to situations where persecutors would force believers to do certain life-threatening things. John Grasmick of Dallas Seminary points out that in the Greek, the first two clauses in verse 18 may be understood as conditional clauses with the third clause as the conclusion. Accordingly, Jesus is saying, If they are compelled to pick up snakes, and if they are compelled to drink deadly poison, it shall not harm them. A thorough study of apostolic miracles indicates that they fulfilled their function in the apostolic era and ceased around A.D. 70. This is evidenced by the decline in miracles following Pentecost, with none being recorded in the last decade of the apostolic age. The early church fathers, Chrysostom and Augustine, confirmed the fact that there was an absence of miracles after the apostolic age. While there may be miracles today, there is no biblical basis for us to expect them. And events people often claim to be miracles do not match the biblical pattern of apostolic miracles. Jesus told His generation there would be no more miracles presented them except one, the sign of Jonah, the resurrection. See Matthew 12, verse 39. I suggest that we focus on the one great miracle, Christ's resurrection, rather than seeking miraculous ministries. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry
0: of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com That's EOCradio at gmail.com or PO Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.